Hey everyone, this is Sean from Image Comics, back with another episode of Mirror Image. In this series, image creators chat with folks from film, music, prose, podcast, and beyond about their shared passions and processes. It's a new venue for creators to reflect on the things they love. And in this episode, we have something truly amazing. Cartoonist and playwright Dean Haspiel chatting with actress and writer Stoya. Dean Haspiel is a veteran cartoonist with both an Emmy and a Ringo under his belt. He's also a Yaddo Fellow and accomplished playwright. His comics include Billy Dogma and most recently, The Red Hook. The Red Hook is about an ex-thief who becomes a superhero after he's imbued with the Omni-Fist of Altruism, power that forces him into benevolence for a year against his free will. Haspiel merges Silver Age bombast with subtle political commentary, including a sentient succeeding Brooklyn for one of the most dynamic graphic novels in memory. Stoya is an accomplished writer, actor, and pornographer. Her recent book is Philosophy, Pussycats, and Porn, a series of essays and blog posts surveying more than a decade of poignant journalistic accounts. Stoy provides crucial examinations of systemic biases towards sex workers and how sexuality is reflected in society. She's also the co-founder of Zero Spaces, a sexually explicit handcrafted collection of videos, photos, articles, and more per digital issue. Stoya has also acted in two plays written by Dean. Harry Carey Kane, and The Last Bar at the End of the World. Stoy and Dean have a truly special chat that spans from sex and comics to the evolution of media to their recent collaborations. And an epic thanks to the band Parents with a Z for providing the music. Check out parents.bandcamp.com for more music. How did you two first encounter each other? Jeff Krellitz. Jeff Krellitz. That's right. Uh, he, if I may, uh, I don't remember where we were. I think it was at some Comic-Con, some Wizard World type thing, and we're sitting at the bar, and he's like, hey, you know what? You should collaborate with Stoya. I'm like, yeah, I should. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, what? You, in, in what way? You know, like, because there's many different things that Stoya does. Um, and obviously, the first one would be probably comics, I believe. <laughs> which then later transitioned to theater. Yeah, Jeff is part of Heavy Metal Magazine, and he wanted something for their sex issue. So he had the two of us go through some of my work and pick something for Dean to adapt and illustrate. Yeah. So you've been blog writing? Is this from a blog? Yes. So the blog. Like essays and stuff like that. And I think you picked out the piece, actually. And then or you said to read some, and that one really stuck out as something that I felt I could adapt. Yes. You know, and visualize. But then I had a set, like, week that I could pull away from my schedule to do it because it was just, like, thrown in the middle of something else. I was uh, The Red Hook, the first season of The Red Hook, actually. Right. And I was on deadline, and I was like, okay, I could probably steal a week. So I met up with Stoya, looked at the uh, different pieces, got this essay, and then I did a, a, a quick breakdown of it visually and turned it into four pages. I knew I could do four pages, pencils, inks, colors, letters, everything in about a week. So did I send you layouts to kind of approve or whatever and make sure yes. you were happy with it? Yeah. And I knew because of heavy metal, I wanted to look a little sci-fi, you know, and funky and weird. And even though it was based on a, something that happened to you in real life, I was that's part of the adaptation, you know? And I was a little worried about that, to be honest, like... 
wondering what you would think of that. He said it in space. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I gave the guy like he's like a, a red Omac, you know, like uh, with a mohawk. And I think I made your character like pink and white or something like that. I think I was blue. Oh, maybe blue. Yeah, yeah probably blue. See, oh yeah, blue and red complement each other really well. So, <laughs> and with maybe it was white hair. Uh, and and then yeah, it was a really fun piece. And then also I knew I'd have to be drawing some sexual situations, which is kind of not what I really do, even though I've done a comic called Billy Dogma. The sex is what I described to be more like Archie Comics sex, you know, very PG rated. I I don't know if either Billy Dogma or the thing Dean and I worked on is PG. Maybe 13, PG-13, yeah, PG-13 you know? You know, boobs and... I mean, I've drawn vaginas where a flower grew out of one, but I feel still that that was very PG. Like, there's, you know, like... Just hold on a second. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Are we being called out here? What's happening? 281. Oh, there it is. This is the issue of Heavy Metal, number 281. Yep. Um, And what was the name of the story again? It was... I think I... One Such Partner. One Such Partner. Yeah, okay. All right, we're looking at it. Okay, I'm seeing nipples. Yeah, we got some nipples. I'm seeing erection through pants. That's true. That was a lot of fun to draw, even though, again, that looks like PG-rated sex to me. Oh, this is great. So yeah, I feel like this is this no. is PG-13. Sure. That's or as 13. As it gets. Yeah. I don't think I... That's sure. not PG. Yeah. Okay. No sex is Although, PG. back in the day, PG allowed a lot of stuff. Yeah, so again, but I think also because my style is like this Silver Age, you know, kind of Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, C.C. Beck type of pastiche. Again, it just, the word safe is not what I'm trying to say because it's not, there's anything wrong with something that looks raunchier or grittier. It's just that the style I draw in, I feel so user-friendly. That's a way of putting it, you know? So again, I don't know. It just looks like fun. I I would show it to my 10-year-old biological daughter you know and maybe i have a problem i don't know (laughs) but you know if it's positive then it's good right Right. and that's a positive story that you told you know i believe so what was it like to write a comic um it was it was pretty cool as far as i understand the way that scripts can look for comics there's like a lot of range there but I did feel like if I was going to do it again, I would want to be more um, active on the... Like page make, one, panel one type thing, descriptions. Yeah, making it more like specific. We, we have talked to Jeff as well as Eric Stevenson at Image, Jeff Krellitz at Heavy Metal and Eric Stevenson at Image, about the possibility of Stoya doing a comic series, possibly adaptations of her own essays yes. or something new. I don't know. Yeah. So how did that, I guess, getting a taste of comics, you know, being produced, how did that uh, inspire you? Or or, or how does it inspire you to potentially, you know, produce original comics? Um, Well, it was was really fun. And I was interested in doing graphic novel versions of my stories. But then I got distracted by like a a non-illustrated book. Although I guess it has illustrations in it, though. Mm. Anyway, um, the one that you just produced, you mean? Yeah, right. Philosophy, pussy cats, and porn. Right. Um, and it 
just it's such a fun medium and because I'm not an illustrator it's inherently collaborative yes. which is part of the appeal um right. like that's also one of the things that's part of the appeal for sex scenes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like like it's really hard for me to get interested in a solo scene mm. because there's nothing mm-hmm. there's no interaction mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. um and the comic stuff because it's like two people interacting that way mm. it kind of pushes the same buttons in a certain way mm. Have you thought about something that, like, creating a character, let's say, that you could tell new stories with, or would this character be you, uh, you know, semi-based on the stuff you've written? Like, would you try to venture out and think in terms of comics, or just adapt the stuff you've done already? I'm not saying I'll never fuck with non- or with fiction. Mm-hmm. But it's still just like never been appealing mm. to me, mm-hmm. at least so yet. It would be autobiographical or semi autobiographically based yeah. the material if you were to venture out into comic. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. But yeah, were you a comic fan for a long time? It's okay to say no. I think it's a no. I think that's a no too. How does she say no so nicely? <laughs> She's. Thinking this through so meticulously. It's it's not even politeness. It's like, okay, guys, we're we're just, we gotta go here now. Um, Being female in public Uh is like sort of like a constantly shifting minefield. Mm. So, so you wanna be very careful. Around basically anything that might attract misogynists. Mm-hmm. Um, and comics does have quite a bit of that in its fan base um, to not overstate. Right. <laughs> like, Which is true, by the way. And. In- I think all entertainment across the field, Hollywood and everything, the misogyny factor. Mm-hmm. But, but I we're guess definitely the, grappling with that right now. We're grappling especially. right now. But I guess the question I, I heard was, did you read comics, like, despite, you know, where you were aware, obviously you're aware of them. Right. Or when did you so start? It was like, were you a comics fan? Ah. Uh, and so I had to, like, got I, it. I felt moved to lay out that whole reason for nervousness and pause around the question. Right. Um, and there's definitely like some nuance between a uh, casual interest and like vague awareness of like, okay, there's like, you know, like Superman and whatever, but like superhero things aren't really my thing. But mm-hmm. like the Japanese stuff, I very much took a liking to when I was younger. Um, especially like the more ornate it was, <laughs> the more I liked it. And what titles? Um, a lot of the Clover ones. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the um on the specific names. Right. But like that studio. And then you can see like one of my shelves up there, like I have like Trans Metropolitan and um some Alan Moore. And you've actually met some of these folks, like you know Warren Ellis. And I just want to point out yeah. Sex Criminals, which is published by Image. That's right. Um <laughs> right. uh, I actually really like that series. Um also the beauty. I only have the first one, but I'm like pretty excited for the second one, but like not excited enough to have any idea when it's coming out or like 
you know, remember the creator's name without having to look it up. Um, so that's, you know, that that's not fandom mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. like, um, you know, talk about industries where the fan base can sometimes be very misogynistic pornography. Like just because I'm like knowledgeable about the history of pornography doesn't mean that I'm a fan and I have a very different way of engaging with the work mm -hmm. usually than a fan does because they're there to appreciate it in a very specific way and I'm there to like pick it apart and do what I do better. Would you say that starting in porn you started as an actress and then became an entrepreneur? Um, I was definitely a performer first. I did when I was just doing like nude modeling I did kind of like micromanage a lot of my photo shoots mm -hmm. or um the photographer like wanted some like collaborative mm -hmm. kind of situation so i did have like some creative expression and control there sure but ultimately and this is where i, I was going to say the similarity possibly is me wanting to be a penciler for Marvel Comics as a kid. That was my dream, to draw the Fantastic Four someday. And I'm not saying it was your dream, but it was it was like you were uh, performing, you know, even with giving some tips and, you know, uh, nuancing, we're both serving someone else's basic idea. Yeah, right? once I started performing, like, my work with Digital Playground, it was very like, okay, I show up, right. and sometimes they go, uh, just be yourself and i'm like which version of myself right. are you thinking here exactly. <laughs> like exactly like which slice that you're referring to just mm -hmm. like clue me in on it so mm -hmm. we can make this easier um but but ultimately where we went is to become your own boss in a lot of ways right yeah. and one thing about you too that mm -hmm. i'm thinking of is you both have worked to evolve your trade over medium from traditional media to electronic. Yes. Yeah, let's talk about Zero Spaces and mm -hmm. how you also evolved Red Hook and that entire Brooklyn my, my thing started in 2005, to be honest, when I, I had joined Live Journal, I guess, on 2001 or something like that. And I'd been, you know, we were all typing our little daily blogs and like finding other like minded people and responding to each other. And when you're working at home alone, what starts to happen is that you use that as a virtual office, that, that parlay. Yeah, right. and for me, like, when I started performing or when I started doing nude photos, the big thing was MySpace. MySpace, and then Friendster before that. You start, like, traveling for shoots, and then you're, um, you're like, meeting all these people once, but they're really awesome and doing mm -hmm. interesting things, and you want to keep track of them. And then next thing you know, you're, like, I'm constantly, like, once I started performing and my career started to take off, it was like I'm constantly, like, sitting in an airport mm. or Twitter twiddling my thumbs in a hotel room in the middle of nowhere half the time. Like, this is what I do to keep myself entertained, mm -hmm. is keep up with all these people, mm -hmm. because it's easy to carry a laptop. It's not easy to carry a week's worth of books. Right. Yeah. Right. And now, actually, it is with the Kindle, which I don't use, but now you can do that now. But back yeah, then... Yeah, And there are, like, apps for sure. the comic stuff. Sure. And, like, yeah. You literally but... can just bring a phone traveling, and, and you have access to so many things it's now. amazing. But it's... the mid-2000s. Yeah, that was a different time. Yeah. So, so in 2005, I just... I create this idea called Activate, which was a webcomics collective on LiveJournal. And then I got Wednesday and my 
friend, you know, and other people got Tuesday, Thursday. Everyone got their day of the week. You know, it was like seven of us or eight of us that started this thing. And it launched. And the reason why I created Activate, which was a webcomics uh, collective, was because I had gotten a job drawing, uh, illustrating Harvey P. Carr's The Quitter for Vertigo. Um, and I knew what happened. What happens is that you work on a project for like a year. So you disappear. And then the book comes out, and hopefully you get a little bit of play. And if it doesn't blow up, bye-bye. You know, you get a couple of weeks out of that, you know. And so I didn't like the idea with the invention of the Internet of disappearing. So I did a weekly webcomic in conjunction to doing the project that was paying me. So I did the free webcomic just to be out there. And then what you're starting to do is gain a fan base, a, you know, a community, you know, that 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 – it will drive you to the works that come out, you know, through the traditional systems of bookstores and comic shops and distribution. But then this new thing, which was engaging live and direct, lifting the veil between uh, creator and creation to the, the fan base or to the reader or your friends and peers, you know, right. on a regular basis. And so I was drawing two books at the same time, one that was evolving weekly and one that would come out a year and a half later, you know, and it was a really interesting time. Uh, live journal because of that and actually my website is still my live journal account if you type in deanhaspill.com it it pings you over to live journal were you ever on live journal um i had like a personal account for a minute as okay. a dumb teenager okay yeah <laughs> was that for an experiment or you were just goofing or it was just like like any like normal oh kid when you were a age. teenager yeah got it i thought you meant you were posing no got it no, got it. you no. were a teenager got yeah it. when okay. i was a teenager right um yeah, but then myspace and the and then myspace transition to oh, so going back to the idea of serving you know again i was working for publishers you were working for filmmakers and producers for you what was the switch where you're like you know what i need to take more control of this and you know be my own boss so i'd been doing it for a while i was starting to get like snarkily critical in the way that like people in their mid-20s are super susceptible to um you're, you're smartest by the way in your 20s and the older you get the less you know i know <laughs> just so you know it's yes so strange you're so smart at yeah. 20 you know everything um, <laughs> you were talking about cognitively like the no, no 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 <laughs> no the smugness <laughs> yeah. of, of in our attitudes like don't tell me what to do you sure. know kind of thing basically like it was like if i was in charge it would be like this and like That's this right. and like this and like this yeah right. um and the company that I was under contract to for the first half of my career was purchased by a large company that owned some of the more notable tube sites, including Pornhub, and was buying up production companies in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and I really didn't like the way that things were changing under them. And so it was like, okay, like the first thing, if I was already this like grouchy and critical and it's going further in a direction I don't like, mm -hmm. like I'm going to need to figure out a new plan. Like, mm -hmm. do I retire? Do I go to another company? There aren't many companies that offer contracts. Mm -hmm. Like, would I want to navigate porn as a freelance performer? Because that can be a lot more... Um, just like difficult and grueling and mm -hmm. like, you know, we forget that it's physically challenging work mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. um, and real quick, just to add, because I don't know the business of what you do necessarily and or did, 
but was there an ex exclusivity aspect to it? There was. Okay. Yeah, contracts have... Ergo the contract. Yeah. Got it. Mine was total exclusivity. Got it. Like, everything ran through them for approval. And some contracts have a much more limited, like, this specific kind of act only or, like, whatever. Got it. Um, got it. Okay. And... Yeah, and then the other thing was, well, maybe it's kind of time to put my money where my mouth is. Mm -hmm. Like... If I think I'm so smart, mm -hmm. like I could go try some of these mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. and at least because part of part of the thing that was so frustrating about my mid 20s is it's like you have these questions where it's like, why don't we do things this way? Mm -hmm. And the like adults in charge don't want to give you an answer mm -hmm. and so it's like okay like even if i totally fuck up and fall on my face i will have answers right about why we don't do it this way you're learning by doing right experiencing also i don't know what point this was but had uh kickstarter been invented and patreon yet um kickstarter had been invented i'm not sure if patreon had yet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know i'm I am a bit cynical with these things. So when Patreon did come around, it was like, okay, like people who make work like mine are allowed for now, but like how long is that going to last? And you see like the bottom just fell out of a four chambered heart. Mm, They're mm, like, mm. they have no idea what to do now. Mm. Or I don't know, maybe they've come up with a plan in the past couple of weeks, but can you, can you just unpack that for a second? Um, and as an example, what you're like, so, okay. So Patreon, um, they, and this was pretty unique. Um, a couple of years ago, they came out saying sexual material is allowed, even though our payment processor is part of the PayPal empire. And they're, they're not into that. They're yeah. PayPal, um, even if you're not using your PayPal account for anything sexual right. or like even business related, sometimes sex workers' PayPal's accounts just get frozen. I didn't um, know that. And it, from what I understand, you get the money eventually, mm. but it's like it takes a while mm -hmm. and it can really bring your business to a halt mm -hmm. if you're relying on it. Um, so Patreon came out and said, we've made like a deal with PayPal. They're allowing this. And cynical old me went, yeah, I wonder how long that's going to last. Mm. And a four-chambered heart, which is this beautiful production company. Um, they're, they're definitely classified as feminist. Their stuff is very artistic. Um, it's incredibly detailed. And it's like very focused on like genuine human connections mm. and intimacy, mm. too. Um, it's really wonderful. Anyone over the age of 18, I recommend you check it out. Hmm. if you can find a way to um and, and they're patreon based is what you're saying. yeah they were they were using patreon as the backbone of their whole thing and then a few weeks ago patreon dropped them hmm. so that would be like like that would be like my payment processor cc bill yep. at zero spaces drop like if you can't take money you're not a business and but are there other Patreon, uh, Patreons where there's sex and happening. Did it go across the board, or is this a particular unique case to Four Chambered Heart? 
I remember vaguely a couple of other people being quoted in the same article. Okay. But it was mostly about Four Chambers. Right. I don't remember the details. I didn't keep up with them right, because, right. like, I'm, you know, I'm cynical and I come right. from mainstream pornography. Right. And so I'm like, right. you know, if anyone is going to be able to make the case for wiggle room on sites like this, it's m- going to be much more Vex Ashley from Four Chambers. Mm. Than Stoya, who has a fleshlight. Right. You know? Right. right <laughs> like, you right. can buy a replica of my vulva right. in a tube in what? a box with a picture, numerous pictures of me on it. Right. So, like, it's, it's really hard to be like, this is art. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so I don't take risks with those platforms. Mm-hmm. I stick to the tried and true CC Bell. And what you're also talking about a little bit, I think, and this is something I've had to th- wrestle with. And I don't like the word branding, but you got to brand yourself so that the people who want to read comics can go online or a comic shop or bookstore and buy any comic. People who want porn, go online, click porn, right? Mm -hmm. So the thing that makes it different is how does Dean make comics and who does he collaborate? How does Stoya make pornography and how is it unique to Stoya? So that you're buying Stoya, you're buying Dean. And that requires a certain kind of branding or you know, uh, a sensibility that people desire, you know, and how have you been doing with that? I'm not really sure. It was, it was a bit bumpy when I first started directing because when MindGeek bought Digital Playground, they did expose me to a whole new audience mm-hmm. that wasn't Digital Playground's like couples only oriented audience or sorry, not couples only. Like there, it wasn't exclusionary, but it was mm. like very couples focused. Got it. Um, the audience that they exposed me to was, you know, the people who like really love the tube sites. Wait, can, can I just because I'm also learning? Are you suggesting that couples watching porn together? It never even occurred to me. Yeah, I always thought that was a solo thing. <laughs> I was at a signing with Jesse Jane where a couple brought their infant. Because they had conceived it thanks to her. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Dean, do you have any stories like that? I'm on planet Earth because of Shelley Winters, the, the famous Oscar award-winning actress who was my godmother. <laughs> and she uh, introduced my parents. I don't think they had sex in front of her or anything like that. But, <laughs> but I don't have any stories like that. No. Sorry. Wow. What about you? Have you had a fan uniquely shared some gratitude? You know, not just thanks, I love you, you're great, but like inspired something or, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, I hear from a lot of women who are usually like they seem like my age or younger mm-hmm. who aren't what you would describe as like overtly sexy looking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um who write to me or like at a convention say seeing me sexualized made them feel more confident in mm. their own ability to sexualize themselves mm. or to like be sexy. Mm-hmm. Feel like sexy, was, be sexy. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, Oh, like this woman has a figure that's similar to mine. And that's, Got I had a similar experience when I was, just starting to live out of my own in Philadelphia 
it was a woman who had clearly been a ballet dancer mm. and she had a similar body type to mine and she was a go-go dancer. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. men are giving her dollars mm -hmm. for s basically standing there and wiggling. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. <laughs> You're talking about, and in comics this is happening, representation, more representation, not just the classic iconic figure or in some cases superheroes the big boobs and big butt or the muscly man it's the idea of like there's all kinds black white you know chinese big small so you're talking about kind of changing the idea of what porn can be which is why that's younger, a huge fight right now and you oh, had a, a chapter fight, in yeah. your book about context that was probably maybe my favorite read in there right was it the New York Times op-ed? I don't know where they came from. I just read the okay. book. Okay. We we cite in the book. Um, it's totally not. I don't expect you to like remember every single word or something. That would be insane. But we do cite in the book the date and if it wasn't from my blog where the publication was. Sure. Because context is really important. Oh, my God. Um, like Outrage. Context. Outrage. Context. Something written about <laughs> politics in 2012 is going to be very different than something that would be written today, yes. so on and so forth. Yes. Um, so context, specifically with regards to porn, it's the big thing for me right now is um and you can you can read the essay we're referring to in my book or on the new york times website um the big thing for me now is how the mainstream media and occasionally i through the mainstream media can fix this context problem that we have because it's not that every porn star looked like Jenna Jameson until Sasha Gray came along. It's that Jenna Jameson was the porn star that the media wanted to constantly refer to and like kind of like tokenize mm. and usually present by herself. Um, and so then... There was this narrative of like Sasha Gray like flipping it on its head and it's like, okay, but like, yo, if it's past the year 2000 and all we have is white women, mm -hmm. like we, we have a glaring diversity issue mm -hmm. going on. Like if it's only white women up front, like something's something's fishy like it's not right. like only white women do sex work it's not like only white women show their faces in front of the camera doing it so like maybe there's something a little funky going on there right when did you write that essay um i didn't write the one i just said okay yeah the, the one from your book yeah that yeah. was that was recent wasn't it march March 2018. I know because I had just won Best Actress and we went to dinner to celebrate and I reflexively checked my email and there was the Times going, okay, here are your last round of edits to approve. And I was like, yeah, I just won Best Actress, so I'll deal with this in the morning. <laughs> and they replied back, no, you won't, because we're going to print. Remember, we print. And yes. I was like, well, fuck. Then I guess we'd better get this done before the alcohol I've ingested catches up with me. Um, it was fine. It turned out fine, clearly. And best actress for? Adelaide Rising. 
movie the, coming out hopefully March 2019 in America. Yeah, the science fiction movie that I made in Serbia. It's all in English, though. It's all in English. It's great. Yeah. But, Dean, you have to deal with context as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, How do you approach that? Well, I try to... It's it's weird. Like, before coming here today, I was feeling a little grumpy. Not about coming here and doing this talk, but I'm feeling a little grumpy about the internet. And I can't stand Twitter. Facebook, I'm okay with a little bit, you know. I've come to love Instagram because it's just fucking pictures, you know. That's great. And I'd rather just do that these days uh, or, you know, provide that. Um, I like to let my work speak for itself. You can react in any way you want, you know, anybody who reads it. But I'd rather let my work than trying to explain everything. I feel like what's happened in our in our as an entertainer, as a storyteller, is the uh, you you now you can create something, but it comes with you also have to promote, you have to explain yourself, you have to apologize, you have to ask permission. All this stuff that comes with it, akin to tearing out the last page of your book, so don't nobody knows the ending. That last page now is you. They want to have access to you, and I think. Sure, I, I listen, I'm online with my shirt off too. I'm half naked half the time and I'm not even a porn star, you know? Like I love Burt Reynolds, so sue me. But having said that, um it, it's it's it, you don't I, if I create a work or a story that creates a work or whoever creates a work, you can respond to that. It doesn't equal access to the person, I believe. No matter how much you might blog or make it feel like you have access that that I let you have access to me. It's up to me, mm-hmm. you know? And we live in a world right now where the fans are becoming very entitled to the work in a lot of ways. So, yeah, so in porn, and I haven't seen this talked about in the context of the rest of the world, but in porn, increasingly the trend has been towards custom videos. Like, it's... Um, performers like they'll kind of like make a name for themselves working for the established production companies and then move into like this guy is like I'll pay this much chunk of money for you doing this and that with this person like literally a custom made for the one client yeah like a commission for an artist but and they will get different so incredibly specific and kind of the like hysterical feminist and note that I say hysterical feminist as opposed to just feminist because this is not how all feminists are but the like easily freaked out and worked into a sex hysteria kind of thing um those people the take that I imagine they're going to have on this is oh my god men paying to tell a woman what to do down to the tiniest detail and that's like literally like most creatives lives it's Mm. like there are like the lucky few and I count myself in there I put Dean in there where like we get to be like Every once in a while, I'm going to do exactly what I want mm-hmm. entirely on my own steam, like produce it myself, micromanage every detail. Have Which is a huge be. risk, too, by the way. Oh, my to God. To do that, you know? Yeah. And, but uh, just to respond to one thing, like to the hysterical feminist that gets mad at that, nobody put a gun to anybody's head to to do the custom job, right? Well, it's, I mean, the gun to the head is capitalism. Yes. It's Agreed. It's like 
definitely nobody took an actual gun and literally put right. it to anyone's head. But there is this pressure, which is a very real pressure of having to make enough money to live. And that means sometimes people do things that they don't want to do in exchange for money. Sometimes that's sex. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's a drawing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's an article. Mm -hmm. Like there's all sorts of, um, you know, just like flat out doing a thing I don't want to do to doing a thing I'm morally opposed to because I've searched every other possibility and nothing is viable. And, you know, some people and would like, call that being... Horish, or some might call it being a professional. Yeah, it's really and like so. Mm -hmm. This custom videos thing, like let's not forget, like it's it's a compensated version of what I get as a director, which is after the fact, all this like, oh, it should be like this, and it should be like this, and you need to hire this person. Why aren't you wearing satins? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck is a satins? Uh, <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine that you get that with your stories. Like, I, I, have so-and-so do this. Why did you make her costume that color? I just got, and I'm not going to say the publisher, and, and, and the editor was very friendly. He's like, I'd love you to write this series, but are you good at hitting milestones? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, the editorial board has all these ideas of where the story's going to go. I was like, oh, so you guys are writing it. I just have to get, the, get it there yeah. as the writer. And I said, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, and it's up in the air whether I'll do it or not because I'm still have to discuss it. But at least you know. I know what the job is. And I can say no or I can say yes. But I shouldn't complain about it afterwards, right? <laughs> I have I have a client for writing. And they're occasional. But <laughs> we've gotten to the point where they're like, okay, so um, we want a story about this where you talk about this, this, and this, and then make a point, I don't know. And I'm like, well, one of your things we're going to talk about is factually incorrect. And they're mm. like, okay, fill me in. And I fill them in. Mm. And they're like, okay, then you're going to talk about this, this, and that. Right. And make a point. Right. What point do you think you'll make? I think I'll make this point. Right. Approved. And right. I'm like, right. you pay well. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, again, I feel like, um, especially when you're working uh, – for the mainstream or for people who pay you, they often have an agenda, you well, know? And let's not forget. And they're using you to serve their agenda in your unique voice and, and draw your crowd. And at the same time, like, I mean, I my porn company functions like a magazine. Mm. So I have a release that can't go forward until all the materials in and it's got like this person and this perspective and blah, blah, blah. And it has to be balanced. And we don't have memberships yet because I can't guarantee hitting a certain amount of, right. you know, but I can, I can understand much better now the company's position. Like I just figured out how to get your more people. <laughs> I bet you have a lot of comics fans. And if you did something that was comics oh, oriented. I want to have a one pager. Something. Every. And I'm even talking about, sure, you can do drawn comics, but photo comics, I can see. Fumetti. Fumetti. Yeah. To appeal to that audience. It's just, it's just another way of okay. making stories, you know? Yeah. And, so we'll talk about that later. I'm into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm super into it. I can see that um, helping the numbers there. <laughs> but like running my own company, like I get that editor that I was just talking about. I get her p 
position and why she wants to work that way because they need to have art happening so it's all in on time to go into the print magazine Mm -hmm. because they're a fucking giant thing with deadlines and they can't miss that because I dropped the ball Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. turned in a sloppy piece that wasn't well thought out or like whatever, you know? Right. What they say in Saturday Night Live, they go, how do you know when the sketch is done? They go 1130 Saturday night. You know, like it's not done. And often you can see that on the television show that it wasn't, you know, it was undercooked often. Uh, and so you, you want to try to like stack the deck in your favor on the front end so it right. doesn't go out uncooked. Right, right. And that's why you try to build in a lot of lead time. In, in just, I mean, comic books themselves, they've actually fallen. Uh, they used to meet deadlines, which is why we had a lot of crappy comics. And sometimes they're really good comics because it's hard to produce these on a monthly basis. The franchise stuff, you know, the Marvel and DC type stuff. But then nowadays it's like you can't even get an artist on for six issues for the year. Or they'll they'll and this is comics you know stuff, but they'll they'll get like a hot artist to do the first issue of a six issue miniseries, let's call it, and then they draw the last issue because the amount of work they put into producing twenty four pages or whatever it is, uh, and get paid well enough for that, then they fill in the middle issues with other mm. artists, uh, just so they can draw the pers- the the readership in because it's it, there's a fan base for that. But Image doesn't do that. Image yeah. is completely different. But if you are providing a monthly service, like let's go back to Patreon. When I look at some friends' Patreons, they're saying for this amount of money, this amount of money, you know, the different tiers, you get this, this, and this. And I think sometimes they'll say, this is a weekly thing. This is a monthly thing. So you have to provide or else you lose your audience. Well, but like for good reason, too. Absolutely. Because... <clears throat> you're promising as a business. It becomes a business at yeah, that you're, point. You're, you making, you're making a contract. You're making a contract. That's right. Provide a certain amount of stuff with a certain amount of regularity. And if you don't, then your customers are going to be upset. And the same thing is true with free. I do a free webcomic on a phone app, you know, a line webtoon. That's where the Red Hook comes from, right? Yeah. They pay me up front to produce a, an original comic that I own, which is amazing, right? Awesome. Which is why I'm able to go to image uh, a year or two after it has its exclusivity online to put it in print right um so they pay me for that but then if i missed a week for the free comic that people are reading and not paying anything but they're two minutes of time people are fickle they're like yeah no fuck you you know like i'm not going to come back after a while they won't come back is what i'm saying so you have to show up i always say show up to your own party it's your party you're throwing show up to it have you, you know? noticed that with zero spaces? Because you do journalism in there as well, right? And essays. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, we only have the one issue up, so we don't really know anything about anything yet. Um, what are you What are you promising on on a schedule for that? It's we we haven't promised a schedule, Got it. so we that's why the issue format actually. It's like here's like one volume of things and um it costs this much mm-hmm. and we'll be back when mm-hmm. we have another mm-hmm. volume mm-hmm. of things that's complete because i'm not you know i have adhd mm. i don't like what the medication that treats it does to my body mm. so i don't take it very often mm. which means i'm functioning with an untreated like largely untreated disorder of executive function Mm. which means 
CEO and editor is like really, really hard for me. Mm. So mm. <clears throat> rather than put myself in a position where people are going to be really mad at me and disappointed. Right. I'm like, okay, like we're just, we're going to do it this way. And like, maybe the company gets to a point where some kind of like COO could come in and like handle that. And then we could do regular stuff. But for mm -hmm. right now, it's just not going to happen. Would well, you prefer, I mean, I probably know the answer already, creating content rather than administering content. Or do you like both? I can't stand the business side. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I I like the high level of the business side, though. Mm -hmm. Like, I like being like, hey, like, what if our company approached content this way or that way? Um, the what big if, decisions. Yeah, what if the user experience was, like, like this? Uh -huh. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I enjoy that part, but yeah, the day to day and the, the thing is the paperwork in the adult industry, like in my book, I talk about two, two, five sevens, which are the age verification laws, um, that apply to the adult industry. And if you mess up one of those papers, mm. there's possible jail time mm. and it's not like a couple weeks. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, the, the stakes are a little extra high mm. with some of the special paperwork that we deal with compared to say like, you know, a magazine that doesn't have naked people in it because then like, if you forget to get a release signed, oh, you might get sued, but like getting sued and going to jail it seems like there's a degree of severity there that's... i'm trying to equate this what story is saying with comics and i'm thinking two things first of all in fear my dear there is at least a flaccid penis a few times and like i said a flower growing out of a vagina <laughs> but and then it did go to stores without a seal no plastic wrap but then recently i don't know if you heard this and i don't i'm this is going to date the podcast, but this is what we're talking about right now. Last week, uh, DC Comics published a Batman comic called Batman Damned, where it had uh, Bruce Wayne walking, I guess, through the Batcave naked, and you see his dick okay. in shadow, like flaccid. I, I think I saw a blurry image or something, yeah. and it freaked out a lot of people because they weren't expecting it. Uh, but what I want to address, though, is the retailer. There were retailers that were upset because they could get sued uh. because a kid might grab the latest Batman comic, even though it's an adult Batman comic. But no one's no one's ever drawn Batman's dick officially, a sanctioned Batman dick from DC Comics. And I can understand why. For me, of course, sitting in this room, I don't think any of us care. What? So what? Batman's dick, right? But I think for the retailer, it was an issue. So it made me think. I think sometimes when I produce material, especially for a free web comic that kids can read online what i'm able to do versus what i want to do and it has put a little bit of a shackle i think even though i still swear that my porn is like archie comic porn <laughs> you know our images that you can see and our trailers are done with an eye towards like if there's no credit card required mm. then 
anybody could be seeing this. Mm -hmm. Like somebody legit might come here by mistake. Mm -hmm. Instagram. I've seen your Instagram pictures. There's like a thin line sometimes across where the nipple would be or vagina. We actually um, just decided to make that line thicker. Because oh, right. the community guidelines have gotten more strict. Really? Yeah. So we want to stay ahead of that and aye, 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 okay. not be one of those. Stoya got her account deleted. That's right. That's, that's right. Yeah. And it is a promotional tool in that way. Obviously, you're talking about trailers, teasers. In fact, what about teasing a second issue? Like, have you thought about that? And that will help build. Yeah. So when things start to get like actually turned in, mm. Um, mm, okay, gotcha. like if I spend like a year teasing this, like that's not Got gonna it. work. Got People it. are gonna be so over it by the time it comes out. Got um, it. So wait, I, just because I, I I haven't seen the first issue, this is other other contributors are working on it. Yeah. So you're dealing with that. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that, that's like, a whole other ball of wax. I'm wrangling contributors, oh, yeah, and yeah. then like I want things to be good, right. so I wait until the essay or like article is in, so the artist can look at it Got before it. they illustrate, and like Got it. there's okay. all sorts of videos, and some of them have like complicated production stuff going on with them, not like CGI or anything, just like. I thought it was like a one-stop shop, you know, sto- one-stop Stoya shop type thing like this. No. Got it. But it's your sensibility. Yes. You're yeah, the, I'm, the, I'm the editor. You're the editor. You're Okay, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I knew that you were, this was your Sorry, thing. Just look at that but, cat. Oh, we're looking. Hi, in. Puff. Hello. You know it, too. Look at you. Um, so, actually, what I forget there were other things you, you wanted to talk to us about from the list. We dotted <laughs> on them, like, in a very... Have we gone all over the place? Snaky, but, yes. like, they were mostly addressed. They oh, were, awesome. okay. Yeah, okay. absolutely. But right. talk about your uh, work on your play, The Last Bar at the End of the World. Oh, okay. So, uh, me and Story have done two plays together. Uh, Harry Carey Kane was the first one. Or Die, Die Again. Yeah, Die. Die Again. <laughs> Very comic um, booky. Yes, very comic booky. Well, that's you know, it's well, my you world. You can see the poster on the wall behind. Me. Oh wow, there it is. Oh sweet. So I think that was your first play. Yeah. Well, aside from Mother Goose, when I was six. Right. Of course. Yeah. Hum- uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. <laughs> there. That. That's right. And then f- fell into a bunch of pieces. Broke into a bunch of pieces. Became a Frankenstein. Yeah. Egg, yeah. Uh, which is the way I would have written it. Um, yeah, no, I had written this thing eons ago, and I'd written a few things uh, that were not comic books that I thought might be screenplays. But then when I started to look at them, I was like, well, if I rearranged some of this and made it a little more talky instead of like, because movies rely on a lot of movement and action and, you know, I believe. But plays are just people standing on a stage, you know, uh, behaving toward each other. So I was able to wrangle this Harry Carey Kane script into what it could be an ambitious play, which I think it was. Uh, Ian W. Hill, the guy who produced and directed it, did a great job uh, with minimal means, you know, at the Brick Theater in he Williamsburg. He had done Dean's first play. Yes, that was called Switch to Kill, which I'm hoping to resurrect, actually. So we'll talk about that later. So, um, and then I guess w- because I had collaborated with Stoya, and I, w- and, um, I had talked, to actually Phil Cruz, an old buddy of mine who's also an actor and a producer-director, encouraged me to kind of like workshop this Harry Carey Kane idea. And as we were workshopping and I was writing it and expanding it, I was like, you know who might be good in this? And I don't know if she'd be into it or not. It was Stoya to play the female lead. 
and we called you up and she was into it you yeah. know what attracted you to the uh, script um well they asked and they were nice and it sounded like fun <laughs> so <laughs> i would always rather be working with people who are awesome than anything else so when people who are awesome and fun to work with are like, hey, do you want to do this? Then I'm like, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And we did it. And it was great. No, it was great. And then and then um you had like three major scenes, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh it probably was like a good learning curve, you know, and doing something different, you know? Uh and then on the heels of that, literally I think on the last night of a three week week run, I had been working on this last part in end of the world which in retrospect feels, in, in ter terms of undercooked, I was Frankensteining a couple of other ideas together, and I'm happy with, with the production of it, but it's something I want to kind of like take one more stab at mm -hmm. with some other ideas I have, to be honest. Uh, so then we did that, oh, so that was like October, November, Harry Carey Kane. Yeah. We did another play five or six months later in yeah. March. With Seth Gilliam. Seth Gilliam, who's on The Walking Dead and was on The Wire, and he plays Father Gabriel, and he's a, a mutual pal of me and Phil Cruz's at SUNY Purchase. He is wonderful to act with. Yes. Like, so easy to work with. And so between the two plays, working with Seth, I think, amped up. Yeah. Your skill set, and probably you probably felt even more comfortable. I, 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 did you ever feel uncomfortable on stage? Because of, or it's a different thing though from making porn movies. Yeah, you know? it's, it's a different um, kind of exposure, I guess. There, there are all sorts of like uncomfortable feelings that stem from like performance anxiety mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like desire to deliver, and mm -hmm. so like nervousness and like all that. Mm -hmm. um, but a live audience. Yeah, but usually, like when I'm actually on stage i'm much more i'm like too busy focusing on just like the lines and doing the, the job and the, yeah sure yeah but there was a really good chemistry between story and set that that made me want to expand on those characters in this maybe updated version at some point well the character well the, the last part in the world is actually not about story and seth in a lot of ways because the seth character is playing the best friend of what the story is about uh, the, there's a character loosely based on me, a very immature, obsessed version of me who's a cartoonist who uh, is obsessed with an ex-girlfriend who he can't get over. And he uh, is also struggling with his career as a cartoonist and what that means with his life. And he is basically discovers that he's dying. And he wants to, like, he wrestles with, um, you know, this this obsession, this love that he needs to kind of come to terms with as well as himself as a cartoonist and one of the people he consults is his best friend played by Seth Gilliam who also has a little bit of an issue he's really worried about becoming uh he just found out that he's going to have a baby and he's worried about being a father because of the way his father treated him and his issues with his father and then that we cut away to one point in the play to a scene with Seth who uh I don't want to spoil too much of what happens in there but he has a chance meeting with a woman named Stella, who's played by Stoya. Hi. <laughs> and uh, she looks like one person and is not that person at all. 
And that was part of what I was trying to write here is that whole idea of, you know, first impressions. And, you know, she comes on as this sexy woman looking for basically a thrill on a Saturday night. And at first maybe appears vulnerable, but she becomes very strong throughout it. And she is a strong character and has this parlay with the, the Seth Gilliam character. And uh, they share some stories and, and she imparts some wisdom that, you know, and, and they have this exchange, you know. Um, and I think I want to do more with the, those two characters because of what happens. And I, I kind of have an idea, and I don't know if I told you this. I might want to, because it's a scene where he's dealing with the, uh, the birth, the impending birth of a son and him wrestling with his father, I might want the next time they see each other is 20 years later and his son's already in college. And what happened, not only to him, but what happened to her. <laughs> and I might want to shift some stuff around. And also, and don't, I may not do this because it might make me vomit. I also want to, because it'd be 20 years from now, I'll, I want to know how many years Trump was president and if he's oh still God. president oh 20 God. years from now. Oh and what does that mean? So God. because there's some political stuff as well in there, some social stuff that I address. And because I write science fiction a little bit, i.e. the Red Hook, you know, where I, I have a Brooklyn that's sentient and secedes from New York City, ergo America, to spark her own republic where, you know, art can be uh, traded for food and services. Um, that's a little plug for the Red Hook folks. Um, I want to kind of continue that that dialogue, that idea, you know, and what would that look like in the future with these characters? So that's another thing I'm playing with. We'll see what happens. And also I want to talk to Stoya and Seth about their characters because I'm writing a woman, a white woman and a black man, which I am not, you know, and, you know, I, I, I tend to use these characters or my writing as vessels for my own thoughts and ideas naturally as a writer, but I can only really write the white guy, you know, who grew up in New York City and, you know, wanted, wanted to be a cartoonist in a lot of ways, you know. And when I was growing up younger in the 70s and 80s, I, I was born in 1967, this shit wasn't happening. Not like this today. It was, I felt like it was much more inclusive. You know, you go to high school or junior high school or whatever, and there's your black friend and your Spanish friend. I'm the white kid. Like, it, we were a fucking Benetton ad. You know, all hanging out with each other, and everything seemed to be cool, but at least in New York City, you know, in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Of course, I live in a bubble. I don't know really about America, and America has reared its ugly head in, the, in, in this presidential administration, mm -hmm. which is what we're also discussing. And I, that's something I want to navigate and try to figure out. Not answer, but just uh, respond to. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of theater or, or expression or art is about responding to what's happening now and what do you want to say about it but what do you where do you want it to go in your art you know and about a decade ago i realized i was writing bleak endings to stuff because things were bleak i guess in my life and i was like you know what i want to write about hope and i know that sounds corny but i i think if you can put more hope out there, it'll energize the world in a better way. So what's the difference between a Comic-Con and a, is there, was it called Porno-Con or something? Like a, porn what, convention. Porn convention, same thing. Yeah. What's the difference in traffic and attitude, people? Uh, I mean, definitely scale. Okay. Um, although, well, no, I mean, AVN was never that big. Hmm. But 
AVN used to be much larger and the booths had like more production value. Mm. And I actually haven't been to AVN in a couple of years, so I can't speak about what it's like now. Mm. Um, but just smaller, fewer people, so a smaller area. Mm. The booths are mm. smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, the people? Yeah. The fans? Um... I feel like there were more people in media at the Comic Cons, mm. but um, that that's just I think like who happens to be in attendance, like mm-hmm. yeah. Would you rather go to a porn convention or a comic book convention? I would rather stay home with the cats. <laughs> I like the bodega myself. <laughs> yeah, they have a cat at the bodega. Of course they do. You gotta have a cat at bodega. Sweet splotchy ginger. <laughs> so a fluffy tail. Squatchy, you when I first met you, I think you were launching your site or something, and you said something that there were different kinds of fans or different kind of quality squishy. What was it? Sticky. There was a couple of things, though, wasn't there? It's a, um, well, the sticky thing is a Malcolm Gladwell thing. It's just like for any product or brand or whatever, like who who the people that follow them are and like how emotionally invested they are. Okay. Um, and sticky would mean you're emotionally invested? Yeah. Okay. Sticky is like, okay, like you're here, you're here for a long time, you're clicking on everything I post. Oh, got Um, it. Okay. So, like, if you have a hundred thousand people but 10 towards Sticky, you might be in a better place than someone with like 300,000 people Mm. that don't really care that much Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. like will care for five minutes. Mm hmm. You're talking about sticky is more of a true investment over a popularity contest, almost. Is that what you're saying? Like you said, the three hundred thousand was less. Well, it it becomes a question of like what's actually popular. Got um, it. Okay. Like, so like for instance, like is Trump really however many hundreds of thousands or millions of people popular, or half of them there hate watching? Oh, you know, which is what I won't do. I won't follow his Twitter. I mean, the amount of my friends, if we're going to get into Trump for a second, that share their hate for Trump. You only have to tell me once. Why every day? Why every day are you look at your own narrative online is how much you hate something. Mm-hmm. Why don't you turn me on to something? Why don't you tell me what you like? That's what I try to do once in a blue. I might throw down a criticism or remind people, yeah, I hate him, too, or hate something, too. But come on, let's use this to promote and be positive. You know, it's a great tool in that way. You know, otherwise it's just negative. And, and I think a lot of us are feeling that negativity, you know, a constant negativity. I have an assistant between me and the Internet. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. So how do you engage? What? How do you know? How do you learn about new stuff? Do you sneak around? Well, I'll go look at like my feed, mm-hmm. like the people that I follow. Mm, okay. And then they're like, you know, like typing in a website. I know it's super old fashioned. Yeah. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's cool. So you're aware. Yeah. You keep tabs. All right. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for talking, Stoya. Thanks for coming out to Brooklyn. You're welcome. A huge thanks to Dean, Stoya, and Parents for the Music. 
Check back next month for a new episode of Mirror Image.